We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. The Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. How, how many makers and cokes have you had? We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Music City Audible podcast. Presented by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports, I'm Justin Graver, and joining me, as always, is Justin Mello. Justin, what is up? We, we, we've been all over this for weeks now. Julio Jones is a titan. I mean, you know what's up. I mean, what are we going to talk about tonight? Just Julio Jones. I don't care if, if there was a million other things to talk about. Julio Jones is all uh, that we should talk about. Do you want to talk about anything else? Does anyone in the any any sphere of sports world want to talk about anything else? It seems like it's been nonstop Julio on ESPN, NFL Network, Bleacher Report. Inject every- all of it into my veins. Give me all of the Julio content I can handle. You'd be surprised how much of it I can take. I mean, this is it's obviously incredibly exciting. <laughs> Yeah, and there is so much written content right now at broadwaysportsmedia.com that you should go check out. Mike, Trey, John Glennon, Glennon I think yeah. uh, Superhorn just posted a film piece that's free. So everyone should go check out what's going on. I know Josh is working on something too. So there, there's tons of stuff there. Broadwaysportsmedia.com on Julio Jones. Yes, let's talk about it because on the last show, I think, what did I up my percentage to? Like 75% or something like that? Something like that. Is this came... Not to cut you off. Is this our 50th episode? Oh, snap. You wanted to I'm remember. So happy you reminded me. It is. Welcome right? to the 50th episode of the Music City Audible. Congrats it to us. It feels like, it feels, sorry, sorry to cut you off. It feels like John Robinson got this deal done in time for our 50th episode. I mean, what a special episode for number. Thank you, John Robinson. Thank you to the boats that he was on. I mean, this is, ter- thank you to the Atlanta Falcons. This, this is great for number 50. Yeah, and I definitely feel like he must have set us up to give us a special episode because I'm glad you reminded me. I definitely wanted to shout us out to our 50th birthday. Congrats to you. Congrats to me. Let's pat ourselves on the back. We obviously had another podcast, so this was this isn't our 50th show together. It's more than that, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Music City Audible turning 50 episodes old today. Not necessarily weeks because we've done some bonuses here and there. Anyway, let's talk about Julio Jones because... For the 50th episode, we get perhaps the the biggest move in the history of the Titans franchise since they moved from Houston to Nashville, I would say, is the trade for Julio Jones. I mean, like, where would this rank in terms of moves that John Robinson has made, moves that the team has made? I can't imagine it's anything below number one, right? Yeah, from a player acquisition standpoint, I mean, you can get into some other things, the jersey reveal, hosting the draft, yada, yada. But from a player acquisition standpoint... Right. I, I think it has to be. I mean, I know we were all excited about Jadavian Clowney last year, but this is certainly on another level, right? Getting Julio Jones, uh, getting a future Hall of Fame wide receiver. Uh, it, it just, I mean, it, it, I agree. It has to be number one. The Titans gave up a second round pick in the 2022 draft, as well as a fourth round pick in the 2023 draft. And they will receive back a sixth round pick in the 2023 draft. And future Hall of Fame wide receiver, Julio Jones. Julio Jones not is a bad a, deal. Not, not a bad deal at all. Yeah, and one of the, sorry, one of the minor details you left out about the deal, it's it's small, but it makes it look even better for Tennessee, the deal, is that fourth round pick is actually a conditional that they gave up. If they get a comp, a comp pick, it's going to be that, it's going to be that pick, right? And they get to keep their original fourth rounder. If they don't receive a comp pick in the fourth round, then of course they have to give up uh, their regular fourth round pick. But if, it, if it's a comp pick, I mean, it makes the deal even sweeter. Absolutely. And that, that comp, comp pick is probably going to be 15, 20, 25 picks later, right? Than the, than the fourth that they own. So that, that's nice. On today's show, we didn't tell the people what we're doing. Obviously, we're talking about Julio Jones. We are going to dive deep into the details. We're going to talk about what the Titans did contractually to make this whole thing work with the salary cap. Talk about expectations for Julio, his history, his injury history, dispel some uh, some some incorrect notions that are out there. And then we have a special guest on today's show, the Don of the Fila Sports Podcast in Atlanta. They cover all Atlanta and Georgia professional and collegiate sports. I know we 
Got to have some Braves fans, probably have some Hawks fans who listen to this show. Check out what they're doing and uh, stay tuned for later in the show. We're going to get his thoughts on Julio Jones and the trade to Tennessee from someone who has obviously seen Julio up close for years now. So that's what's coming today. So as I mentioned, Julio Jones, let's talk about his contract. The Titans will be paying Julio Jones uh, $15.3 million in the 2021 season. That then drops to approximately $11 million for the following two seasons. Those are Those will be his cap hits for the next three years unless a new deal is negotiated. John Robinson did mention that they were there was a bunch of internal things they were working through um, in terms of the contract and that they'd had discussions with Julio. And I think that Julio Jones will likely want a new contract in, instead of playing for $11 million next season, uh, c- considering the pedigree that he comes to the team with. So what are your thoughts there on a potential Julio extension? Do you think something happens this year, or is it going to be a wait and see if he's still an elite player in 2021? They talk about it next offseason. Yeah, I think it'll probably be a wait and see scenario. I mean, whatever ends up happening, I imagine that John Robinson knew about it, right? That's the key. I don't think you trade for him um, if you know that he wants a contract extension immediately and that you're not willing to give it. You know what I mean? So, whatever the situation is, I feel good about it. Certainly, John Robinson is aware. Uh, of it. And if I had to make a prediction, I don't think he gets a new contract immediately. Uh, but I do think that both parties probably have to come to the negotiating table next offseason to get something done. Agreed. I kind of want to talk about the timeline now for this trade and get your thoughts here. Now, it, it, it would seem that this was not the plan all along. You know, like the reason that they didn't pursue Corey Davis and John U. Smith, the reason that they waited until the fourth round to take Des Fitzpatrick in the draft. Those don't seem to be related at all to this to this trade. John Robinson said that they first started having conversations, serious conversations, a little after the draft. Like he specifically used the phrase after the draft. I don't think that the reason the Titans ignored the receiver position has anything to do with Julio, but it definitely brings the question to mind. Like, were they going to just go into the season with this group if if this hadn't happened? And I actually think that they would have. Do, do you? Yeah, it's tough to say because I think we have to operate from a perspective that John Robinson was likely telling the truth, uh, that it started after the draft and that they didn't know that this was going to happen. I also think it's possible that he wasn't telling the truth. I don't think it matters one way or another. Uh, If he is telling the truth, then I agree with you. It's a little concerning, right, that they were willing uh, maybe to go in with this group with Josh Reynolds and Des Fitzpatrick and, and Lord knows who else. Uh, playing important roles there. Definitely concerning if that was the case. Uh, talking about a swing of the pendulum, though, right? Like going, going from Josh Reynolds as your receiver two to Julio Jones as your receiver two and having Reynolds slot in there to the number three, I mean, way more ideal, right, than what they had beforehand. So uh, I think you're probably right. They, they, they were likely going to go in with this group. But obviously, I mean, trading for Julio, it does show – that John Robinson, you know, likely knew that the position didn't look great, right? Yeah, and actually, I'm going to read you a quote here from Albert Breer's Monday Morning Quarterback on Monday. If anyone missed it, it was extremely detailed about this trade, and I would recommend everybody go checks it out. But specifically on how long a process was this for you, John Robinson told Albert Breer, quotes, It was probably post-draft that we started kicking it around, and probably shortly after that is when I touched base with Terry, and then moved pretty slow on it, I'd say, over the last two or three weeks, staying in touch with Terry, telling him to keep us in mind, and then really over the last probably 36 to 48 hours is when it really intensified and heated up, and we were able to kind of close it out this morning. So that makes me think that they conducted the draft, some players that they were targeting fell, or sorry, didn't fall to where they hoped they would get them in terms of wide receivers. They looked at their team post-draft, like you just said, and went, hmm, we need to maybe do something about the receivers. Isn't Julio Jones on the block or something like that, right? I mean, based on this quote, you have to kind of imagine that might be how it went down. Yeah, and if that's the case, then John Robinson should be thanking his lucky stars because to have the group that they had at receiver and then to be able to trade for Julio Jones, I mean... Talk about saving the position, right? And totally overhauling the outcome. I mean, we were having discussions two weeks ago. You saw, you know, not even just you and I. I mean, people posting on Twitter, ranking the receiver groups. A lot of people thought Titans were near the bottom, right? We've gone from that to Julio Jones and A.J. Brown are the best one-two punch in the NFL. So 
it's almost impossible to imagine how much they've improved that position with this one move. It's crazy. And and I kind of want to talk about the compensation here while we're talking about the timeline, because Julio Jones apparently went to the new management and coach Arthur Smith, obviously Titans, former offensive coordinator, and basically said when Arthur Smith was hired, like, hey, man, hey, hey, new general manager, hey, new head coach, I don't really want to be here anymore. I don't want to be part of a rebuild. I want to go play where I can win. I feel like I've given a lot to this city and this franchise, and this is what I want now. And apparent the, the report is that Arthur Smith knew almost from the moment he started designing this offense or whatever, started thinking about being Atlanta's head coach, that he was never going to be coaching Julio Jones. So this has been from Atlanta's perspective in the works for quite some time. And you can even dial it back all the way to before the 2019 season, not last season, two seasons ago, when Julio went and renegotiated his deal and actually had had said, if, if you can't work out a new deal, then I might ask for a trade. And there was like talk of Julio potentially asking for a trade, obviously not reported talk. This was all internal in, in Atlanta, but internal talk about Julio potentially being traded two years ago. So it's interesting to see. I mean, that's that's kind of the process that Julio's has has taken in Atlanta and this kind of falling out between him and the Atlanta Falcons has has happened over multiple years. So on the question of why would Atlanta trade Julio like Atlanta didn't trade Julio because they because he's not good anymore or whatever, you know, you kind of wonder like when you're trading for a player like, well, why is that team getting rid of him? Well, Atlanta had to get rid of him. They they a he asked them to and B it was their best move to get under the salary cap and sign their rookies. Now, if he hadn't asked for a trade, maybe they do something else. Maybe they restructure Grady Jarrett. Maybe they still look to trade him. Who knows? But because he had already asked for that trade all the way back in like January, and it worked perfectly for the Falcons in terms of getting them under the cap this year. Now there's the caveat detail here of the June 1st, the post June 1st, which we've talked a lot about on the show over the last couple of weeks, but Making it happen after June 1st means that the guaranteed money that Julio would have been owed in 2021 for the 2021 season, Atlanta can push to 2022 um, so that or half of it anyway, they can split it. So they only have they only had to pay half of what they would have had to pay him, which gives them the cap flexibility to sign their rookies. But they had to do that after June 1st. So that's why we even though he requested a trade in March or in January, even though John Robinson started talking about it after the draft in April. It had to wait till June 2nd, or actually it was, what was it, June 7th or June 6th, I mean, that the trade finally went down because of all these cap uh, accessories that had to go into play. So the compensation ends up being a second-round pick pretty much and then a pick swap in 2023, which is like, who knows how good those teams will be? Who knows anything uh, about 2023? a day three swap at that. A day three swap, exactly. So A, you don't lose the pick. Like, you don't have less picks than you would have. And right. B, it's it's so far in the future, the teams are going to look different by then. Like, And it's day three. The, those are dart throws anyway. So Mohamed Sanu goes for a second-round pick <laughs> for I the mean, Patriots. It's mind-blowing when you put it that way. And, and and I don't have a lot to say about the situation in Atlanta, and I don't mean to, to, to crap on them. But one thing I will say is, is when you only win four games and you're that much above the cap, I mean, that's a disaster. Or that, that is such a bad situation to be in. I, uh, there's nothing worse almost than being a bad team that somehow doesn't have cap space either. I mean, who and what are you paying for if you're not winning football games? So bad situation exactly. there. We're not going to complain about it because the Titans win here in a major, major way. And I think it was, uh, I want to say it was Chris Sims podcast. I've been listening to a ton of podcasts this week, soaking up all the Julio content, like, like we alluded to at the start. And um, I think it was Chris Sims who said, this is the, what happens when you trade during the offseason versus trading, you know, during the season. During the season, you had three teams who all needed a wide receiver. This is the Mohamed Sanu trade. Three teams who all needed a wide receiver, so you got a, who were Super Bowl contenders in their own eyes and could use a bolstering at that position. So you got a little bit of a bidding war started, and that's how Mohamed Sanu ends up going for a second-round pick. Whereas, you know, after the draft, you get you get – or in the offseason right now, you know, nobody knows how good they are. Everybody thinks they can win the Super Bowl. Nobody wants to give up too many future assets. Um, so you end up getting a bargain like this. I think this is going to be the kind of deal where teams are kicking themselves midway through the season. Like, why didn't we give up a little bit more, offer a little bit more to get Julio Jones? I mean, we've seen him in OTAs on Thursday, one day of OTAs. It's pretty cool that he reported to OTAs on Thursday. 
and he just looks so explosive. I, I, I'm, I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say if he's lost a step or not because you and I haven't been watching him do training camp practices for 10 years like Atlanta media has. But if that guy's lost a step, I'd love to see what he looked like, you know, five, 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, one thing, I two things to say on that. Uh, number one, uh, it's, it's in, and I'm a draft guy, and you know, and I love the NFL draft, but it's always funny to me, right, that teams are during the draft are willing to give up, you know, future first round. The Jets gave up a future first rounder to move up to take an interior offensive lineman, right? And Elijah Vera Tucker. And, and then when a guy like Julio Jones becomes available, I mean, no one wants to give up picks all of a sudden. I mean, it's that thought process. And, and like I said, I'm a draft guy, but that thought process is mind blowing to me. Look, I know he's 32. I know there's money owed. I know there's other factors that go into it, but look, the, look what the saints gave up to move up for Marcus Davenport, right? The jets for Elijah Vera Tucker at the draft teams will give up anything to move up for a guy right so it's always mind-blowing to me when that's the case and and about him in OTAs I'm gonna go on a quick Julio Jones rant if that's okay with you and I imagine it is if it's not I'm still gonna do it um but I mean first of all he wants to be here and I think that's that's a terrific sign right there was all these reports that this is one of his preferred destinations and then Atlanta has so much respect for him that they wouldn't trade him somewhere that he wouldn't want to be so a the fact that he wants to be here I won't get too much into this, but it says how far this franchise has come right, over the last five to 10 years. Uh, that's terrific. And B, talk about the attitude. I mean, he flies in here the next day. Uh, he's already gone out for dinner with Ryan Tannehill. He's already hung out with A.J. Brown uh, away from the facility as well. Uh, he shows up to OTAs today. He didn't have to be here for that Thursday, that is. He didn't have to be here for that. Still voluntary, but there he is. He looks straight throughout the drills. He's coaching guys up. Uh, throughout practice. Um, I remember after the trade, sorry, when he first came to Tennessee to meet his teammates or meet, you know, John Robinson, Mike Rabel, he went back to Atlanta, right? And then came back for the OTAs today. So just it shows the commitment. It shows about shows how excited he is to be here. Uh, and then that media session, right, that he did after practice with Zoom, that was unbelievable. I mean, the answers were great. You, you really believe that he's excited about this. He talked about it being a second chapter. He talked about choosing the number two, one plus one, of course, 11, A.J. Brown, 11 times two, equaling 22, which is Derrick Henry's number. I mean, that was a cool thought to think of, but we didn't know that he actually considered that when picking number two. So I thought it was super cool to hear him say that. Sorry, he go said ahead. he and he said he and AJ came up with that together when they went when they went when out they the out, other night. It, right, it signals how excited he is to be here, and he realizes this three-headed monster or four-headed monster, if you're including the quarterback. Uh, I, I'm pumped up about the deal. I'm pumped up about the attitude that he's shown up with, and uh, you know it, it's obvious he's excited to be here. And Mike uh, from Broadway, of course, had tweeted this out. It looks like from the jump, right, that you're getting I've got something to prove version of Julio Jones. And I can't think of a, a better scenario for the Titans than to get this guy while, you know, how excited he is and how much he thinks he has to prove. And he talked about his health, too. Right? For those who don't think I'm healthy, for those who think I'm sitting out games, just wait and see. So uh, I, yeah, I can't no, the, imagine. Go ahead. Sorry. The exact quote there was for those questioning my health and things like that. Stay tuned. And you Oof. love to hear that. And he ended it with a great quote, right? The 11, the 22, talking about him, the jersey numbers with himself, Brown, and Henry. And I, I just can't imagine. I can't fathom. Call it bias. Call it whatever you want. But I can't imagine being a Tennessee Titans fan and not being through the roof with excitement right now. If you're not excited, you're silly. Uh, you're stupid. I'll just go ahead and say it. If you're not excited about this, you should be excited about this. Heck, I mean, for, for me... I went from thinking, and I'll be honest, I went from thinking they, they didn't have a chance to win the Super Bowl this coming season. I really believe that, and, and, and hopefully that shows you that I'm not overly biased. I didn't think they had a chance to win the Super Bowl in 2021. Thought they'd, you know, they'd have a decent year. I think they'll get into the playoffs, but I don't think they can beat the best teams in the AFC when they get there. Not with the pre-Julio Jones roster that they have. But for me, this move changes everything. To me, it should solidify them as legit contenders. So if you're a Tennessee Titans fan and you're not excited, I feel sorry for you because you should be through the roof with excitement right now. It changes the, oh, yeah. it changes everything for me. I want to get into expectations. Let's, let's just do it now since you brought it up. I mean, 
I absolutely believe this vaults the Titans from division contender to Super Bowl contender, which is basically what you said too. But, you know, before this, and, and this has been the, the refrain from media all over the place, and I've actually been a little impressed at how, how well the media, I mean, there's a few guys out there like Steven Ruiz and everybody from PFF who seem to believe that this move doesn't improve the Titans chances at all, which is absolutely insane. But most smart analysts like Chris Sims, who I mentioned earlier, like the guys on around the NFL move the sticks and, and other guys are saying it. The Titans are a Super Bowl contender. Now they were a playoff team before this. And now they have to be thought of. I mean, I can see a objective non-biased observer saying that the bills and the chiefs are still better. Yeah. I can see someone saying that they might like the Browns better because they have, you know, a legitimate pass rush on defense and they looked pretty good last year. But I can't imagine anyone saying that they don't like the Titans in the same breath as those teams and the Ravens. I mean, those are probably the top AFC teams ex that we expect anyway right now. it's always It always changes by like November. You know, one of these teams is going to be terrible and one of the teams we think is going to be terrible is going to be in the playoff hunt in November. But whatever, well, that's another conversation. But... The point is, this absolutely vaults the Titans to contender status. And if your expectations now aren't, I mean, Super Bowl or bust is kind of harsh because, you know, you can have One a great season wins. without. Yeah. yeah, you can. Exactly. One team wins it. You can have a great season without winning the Super Bowl. But I do think that that should be the expectation now. I mean, the team clearly is going all in on this window with Ryan Tannehill, with Derrick Henry. Who knows how long those two guys will play at the level they're playing at, given the way age and time and football works, you know, there's no guarantee that they are even as good next year as they were last or this year as they were last year, right? You you hope Derrick Henry can still play at that level and seeing him do 54 inch box jumps definitely encourage is an encouraging sight um, on that front. But yeah, I think that this is the Titans saying, we know we have a window here and we want to maximize it. And it's what we talked about last week. It's what they did last year with Jadeveon Clowney when they said, you know, we're going to swing for the fences here and, and this is what John Glennon's article for Broadway was all about, but it was basically like, yeah, John Robinson swung and struck out last year, or he used a boxing analogy that, th that I thought was really good. Um, you know, he took, he took some, some big blows to the face last year and almost knocked out, but he came back for this round and kept swinging. You know, he, he's not going to stop trying to make big moves because a couple didn't work out. That'd be crazy. So yeah, absolutely love what the Titans are doing. And ultimately it sends a signal to the team that like, hey, work really, really hard, guys, because this is a potential Super Bowl team if you guys put in the work. And I think A.J. Brown said it really well the other day. You know, yeah, we, we're good on paper, but we can't just be good on paper. We have to be good on the field. And I think that they know that. And that making a move like Julio, it's kind of like, you know, Tampa Bay last year brings in Tom Brady. And yeah, Tom Brady's really, really, really good. So that's a that's a big factor. But also everyone in that Bucks locker room was like, oh crap, we are going for it as a as a franchise. So I gotta bring my best every single day because I gotta Tom Brady is setting a standard that I gotta uphold. And I think that Julio Jones is gonna set a standard in Tennessee that that the rest of the receivers and the offense and the whole team, the defense too. You've seen quotes that, that Kevin Byard has said about you know how our team's gonna how our defense is gonna gonna line up and stop this offense now. I think that kind of message has an impact on the locker room, even though it's you know ephemeral and and not really quantifiable. I think there is an impact there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I always thought, and uh, we had an argument in the, in the Twitter chat. I, I always thought Tampa Bay doesn't win without Tom Brady. I know how good their defense was, but just the mental aspect of what that did to the team. I mean, Mike Evans at the end of that Super Bowl game was in tears. Go rocks up to Rob Gronkowski. And says, I can't believe you guys did this, referring to Rob and Tom. I can't believe you came here and did this for us. So, I mean, that goes to show you the kind of impact that that had on them as a team. And I, and I like that comparison because getting a guy like Julio Jones, it sends a message, right? It sends the right message. And he loves ball and he loves to work, right? And they talk about even going all the way back to Nick Saban, right? And having discussions with him about what he was like at Alabama. I, I have no doubt that Julio Jones is here with a terrific attitude. He wants to win badly. He's never won, obviously. They had that heartbreak disaster class in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Uh, so he's here to win. The team knows they can win. And it's a great locker room. It's a, it's a great head coach. It's a great general manager. So uh, again, I, I can't imagine being a Titans fan and, and not being super excited right now. And regarding those PFF nerds and, and everyone who's, you know, just ridiculous, don't give them the time of day. They claim that they're not out for clicks, but 
Uh, they seem to ha- really enjoy talking about the Titans right now. So it's hard to imagine not being out for clicks and you won't shut up about one topic right every single day. So kind of kind of signals their uh, what their intent is to me. Uh, you know, to, to, to show that we're not completely, obviously we're probably a little biased, but to show that we're not completely biased, I agree that I could objectively see why you'd have KC still in front of them, right? Why you think Buffalo might be in front of them. Heck, I can see the argument for Cleveland. You know, I can see the argument that they could lose a game to Baltimore. You know what I mean? So, um, but to think that, you know, they're, I, I saw things that the Colts are still way better than them or Colts are going to win the division or was it Dan Orlovsky who said, Oh, now this puts the Titans on the Colts level. Like now, I mean, like, well, come on. They won the division last year. You know, so I mean, it was obviously close. It could have gone either way last year. Don't get me wrong, but uh, to think that they weren't already on the Colts level, I mean, that, that, that's a little bit mind blowing to me. But I do understand, you know, the AFC loving the KCs and loving the Buffaloes, even Cleveland a little bit. I, I get that. It's going to be a tough conference to win. Absolutely, it will. But I think those are the expectations. All right, we covered that point. I want to get into the compensation. I want to talk about what the Titans did to get under the salary cap here, John Robinson specifically. How many months did you and I sit here and say, (laughs) why hasn't John Robinson restructured Ryan Tannehill's contract yet? I mean, we said that for a long time. Well, let's just put it this way. If in February, picking a month out of the air, out of the hat randomly, John Robinson had said, you know what? I really want to keep Corey Davis and Johnny Smith. So let me go ahead and restructure Ryan Tannehill and move some of this money into next year, sign these two guys, these core pieces to long-term contracts, and that's it. The offense is set. Is that a better offense than what the Titans currently have? No. No, this, this, this move changes everything for me about how I view the offense. Yeah, you can make the two versus one argument, John New Smith and Corey Davis, uh, but I, but I think Julio Jones uh, again being healthy is on another level uh, than both of those players. I mean, and there's a reason why he's going to the Hall of Fame, you know. And those two guys, uh, with all due respect, are are, are not going to be Hall of Famers. So, yeah. Um, and, and to me, the most interesting thing here, to be honest with you, is that um, he could have kept both of them. He could have kept Corey Davis and John Smith. They just, like you said, they just restructured Ryan Tannehill, something we've been asking them to do for a long time. They could have done that and signed both of them. They didn't. They didn't want to do that. Say what you will. And we don't know the reason. They thought it was too much money for Corey Davis and John Smith. They thought they weren't good enough. They wanted to move on. Whatever it is, we can now see with absolute certainty that they could have kept them and they chose not to. Right. Exactly. There has to be a reason. We don't know what that reason is. That reason could be as simple as those guys wanted to pursue opportunities elsewhere in situations they thought would send more targets their way. I think both of those guys probably thought personally that they could have used more targets, right? But I think this is a better situation for the Titans. I mean, Julio Jones at 32 years old, I think is better than Corey Davis uh, going into his fifth season in the NFL. Corey Davis, here's a fun fact for you. Corey Davis was picked one spot ahead of where Julio Jones was taken in the draft. That doesn't just blow your mind and just, I mean, that's just a lesson on drafting in general, right? And it goes back to our earlier conversation about how insane, how, how much these, these teams value draft picks during like right now when they won't trade for Julio Jones, but during the draft itself, it's like, yeah, like, like we talked about moving up and down for, for guys. And you never know when you're getting, when you're drafting the Julio Jones versus the Corey Davis and not the Corey Davis is a bad player. I mean, the Julio Jones or the John Ross, right? I mean, those guys are both top 10 picks. So it's all crazy uh, to, to consider when, when you think of it that way. But anyway, what the Titans actually did with Ryan Tannehill, in addition to restructuring, is they added two voidable years to the end of his contract. So 2024 and 2025 season, Ryan Tannehill will carry a cap hit against the Titans' salary cap, even though he's not under contract for those two seasons. That's how voidable years work. What it did is it it added three extra, or it created $3 million extra dollars more than it would have if they'd simply restructured him. And what it does with that money is, is it, it pushes that to pushes eight, uh, almost over $9 million total to 2024, 2025, spreads them out between them. A simple restructure would have had that $9 million split between 2022 and 2023 only. So the cap hit for Ryan Tannehill next year and the year after that would have been 
very, very high. It's still going to be pretty high. Still 38 million next year and 36 million the year after that. But it would have been 43 million and 41 million. So now it'll only be 38.6 and 36.6, which is definitely more manageable, especially considering next year the cap's not expected to rise too much the way that it is the following season when the TV deals kick in. So that's how they got into the cap. We've been wondering if the Titans would get into the voidable years game, and they've done it with Tannehill's contract here. It's a no-brainer to do it, right? And like you said, I mean, not only does it help them fit Julio Jones this year, but it gives them some flexibility, right, going forward. And yeah, it's, you can view it as kicking the can down the road a little bit, but uh, it's, a, it's a no-brainer. It's a terrific move, especially when you factor in that it lets you fit in a Julio Jones into your plans. I mean, there's, there, there, there's no denying that this was the right thing to do. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about Julio some more. I want to get into uh, some concerns, and I actually want to dispel them. (laughs) So let's talk about Julio's injury history, because that's the big knock on him right now. He, He missed seven games last season, and he's been a little banged up pretty much his whole career. A lot of people seem to think he's very, very, very injury prone. I mean, people who aren't Titans fans and outside of Nashville. And here's the deal. Julio Jones has been in Atlanta for a potential 160 total games over the last 10 seasons, and he's played 135 of those 160 games. He has played 13 or more games in all but two seasons. He has played 14 or more games in all but three seasons. He has played 15 or more games in all but four seasons. One year, he only played five games. Last year, he only played nine games. Every other year, 13 games or more. So, I think that if the Titans get 13 games out of Julio Jones and he's healthy for the playoffs, then who cares if he's a little banged up three weeks of the year? I mean, that's, I mean, I don't even think he'll miss three games, right? Who cares if he's questionable for practice every single Wednesday? You know, he doesn't need to practice a single Wednesday this year if it means he can be healthy during the playoffs. And he certainly looked healthy at OTAs on Thursday. He himself said he tried to come back too fast from his hamstring injury last year, and that's why it ended up be- being aggravated again. So it's not about like, a, a, so to me, that tells me that, you know, he's at least going to try to learn from that. He's not going to push himself through a hamstring injury again. And he, he wants to win and he wants to be on the field. Obviously, he wants to be out there because he's out there at voluntary OTAs when he didn't have to be there yet. And you know, if you want to say, well, how many of those games did he leave injured? How many, how many of those games that he played was he, was he banged up in? Well, he leads NFL history in average receiving yards per game. You know, and if you're only playing a little bit of a game and you leave the game, that's going to hurt your average a lot. And if you're doing that often, it's really going to hurt your average a lot. So he's obviously not doing that very often because he, he has the highest average receiving yards per game of any player that's ever played football at 95 and a half yards per game. So Am I concerned about Julio's injury history? Minor, very minor. It's on the, I'm not really thinking about it. I'm more looking at Julio, what he can do, not will he be hurt? What, what is your thoughts on the injury front? Yeah. I mean, I think you did a great job dispelling that there. I don't have uh, a ton to add. One one thing I will say is, Oh, you, you brought up a good point there. Oh, you know, you play banged up. I don't think people realize how often NFL players are playing banged up right? Things that don't even go on the injury report. And they're always, it's a physical game. Something's always hurting, right? Especially when you get to the middle of the season or, or later in the season. But uh, I do agree that all of a sudden there seems to be this false narrative going around that, oh, the Titans traded for an injury prone Julio Jones. I think people get that from maybe that he's 32 and, and was, you know, dealt with a hamstring last year and missed uh, quite a couple games. But just because that happened once, I don't think that deserves, you know, he deserves the label of injury prone all of a sudden. It's you said it. I mean, he typically plays 13, 14, 15, 16 games. So injury prone, uh, I, I think that almost comes from, I may even go as far as calling it a lack of education, right? Or lack of knowledge. I mean, to call him injury prone, none of the factors support that term, right? None of the evidence suggests that he's an NFL player that has been super injury prone. Like you said, yeah, you could look in games. He's played banged up games. He's played through injuries, but the numbers speak for themselves. You know, if this guy was always playing hurt, really, really severely hurt, then the numbers wouldn't be what they are. Right. Most likely. So uh, I agree with you that 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 injury prone thing 
uh, I don't know where it came from and I don't know why it has legs, but I, I don't think it fits as much as some people think it does. I agree. And I think if I had to track down its source, it's it's fantasy football. And this is the source of pretty much everything that happens in in a fan's perspective that is wrong is because of fantasy football changing the way they think about football or, or informing their views. But, you know, if you're a fantasy football player who drafts Julio Jones, you're going to see the cue on your roster almost every week because he's limited in practice almost every week. And you're got to be wondering, am I going to have this guy available for my fantasy team this weekend? Pretty much every week. And even if he is available for you that weekend, you still remember all those times you looked at your roster, or if you didn't own him, you looked at your opponent's roster and were like, mm, maybe Julio won't be playing this week. I might catch a break. And then Julio plays anyway. But, you know, it still, it still makes people think that, oh, this guy's always banged up. I, I don't, I think he's an injury prone guy now. And I think all misconceptions about football are, are not all, but a lot of them are rooted in fantasy football. And, you know, yeah, I think that that's probably where it comes from. Um, the, the only other real concern I'd have here is, uh, is what is, what does it look like next year? Does Julio command a big contract? What does that do to the team? And I don't really know if I'm concerned with that because at the end of the day, if he's commanding a big contract at the end of this season, it's because this year worked out really, really well. And if it doesn't work out well, the Titans can get out of it with like, I think two or $3 million in dead money next year. So if Julio is washed, which not, we don't think he is, but if in the off chance he is washed, the Titans are, are only out the second round pick really. Um, there's not a whole lot of financial ramifications for that. So I think that, you know, this is the move a team that's going all in makes, and I'm fully behind it uh, on every front. You? I'm fully behind it as well. I mean, you can judge my tone and, and, and the message I've been sending throughout this entire episode. Uh, one thing I will say that it's nice, of course, that if they have to get out of it, if things don't go well, it's nice that there's not a lot of financial penalty there to get out of it. And, and you would do that move a thousand times over, right? You take that risk. But if it doesn't work out, it, it does suck to be out of that second round pick. I will say that. And uh, I'll say the same thing I said about Jadavion Clowney in a sense where I would take that risk again. I would swing for the fences again. Um, but if it doesn't work out, then, then it sucks. I have some stats here just to put all this into context. These are put all this into context. These are courtesy of the NFL research department. Here is a comparison of Julio Jones's numbers and the Tennessee Titans all-time leading receiver. Julio Jones, career, 848 catches. Titans' all-time leading receiver is Ernest Givens with 542 catches. Receiving yards, career, Jones, 12,896. Givens, 7,935. Receiving touchdowns. Julio doesn't score touchdowns. Julio Jones has more career receiving touchdowns than the Titans' all-time leader in career receiving touchdowns, which happens to be Charlie Hennigan, who had 51 Julio Jones, 100-yard games, 58. Next closest Titans all-time leader, Charlie Hennigan again with 28. And 1,000-yard seasons. Julio Jones has hit the 1,000-yard mark seven times. The Titans all-time leader in that department was Drew Hill with 5,000-yard seasons. So Julio Jones, better than any player that's ever put on a Titans uniform, according to or any receiver that's ever put on a Titans uniform, except for maybe Randy Moss, who we're not going to count. <laughs> Yeah, certainly not 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 counting yeah, Randy Moss, Moss after after that uh, uneventful stint. But I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. This has never been a franchise that's had great receivers. We know that for so long we felt they were cursed at the position, right? I mean, passing on uh, not getting Randy Moss in the draft, right? I mean, things speak for themselves. Uh, but but certainly before AJ Brown, really never felt like this team was excellent at receiver. How many you know Eric Molds? Uh, uh, bringing in the Andre Johnsons, right? David Givens, big contract at the time. Uh, lots of them right, haven't really worked out, but that seemed to change with A.J. Brown, and those numbers speak for themselves. I mean, Julio Jones is, I mean, it's, it's the biggest name they've ever had at receiver already. Uh, more from NFL Research. Julio Jones and Derrick Henry mark the first instance in which a player with an 1,800-yard receiving season was teammates with a player with an 1,800-yard rushing season. Is that crazy? I mean, that's just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, what do you even say about that? I mean, that's, that's Hall of Fame talent right there. Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, A.J. Brown. They are all Pro Bowl players. That's a Pro Bowl core. Taylor Lewan, also a three-time Pro Bowler. Um, if 
if Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, and Derrick Henry all have 1,000 receiving and or rushing yards in this season, it'll be the only the second time in Titans history that that happened. The other time, believe it or not, was 2004 when running back Chris Brown had over 1,000 rushing yards and wide receivers Drew Bennett and Derrick Mason each had 1,000 yards receiving. That's pretty wild. Um, the last bit I have here is the comparison between Julio Jones and A.J. Brown in their first two seasons. Julio's first two seasons, 133 catches for 2157. AJ's first two seasons, 122 catches, 11 less for 2126, only 31 less yards and one more receiving touchdown than Julio Jones, who scored 18 in his first two. Brown, of course, with 11 last year and eight the year before that. So the Titans' offensive skill position players are up there with the best in the league. I don't know if they are the best in the league, but this was my next question for you. Who's better? Is Tampa Bay better with Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and I guess we're counting Antonio Brown? Um, is that a better receiving core than what the Titans have now? I, I, you know, I don't, I don't mean to give a cop out answer, but I think those are definitely the top two in the league, and I think that's a one A, one B situation. I don't know that there's a clear cut winner there. But I, I don't think I can make the argument for anybody else uh, being in that conversation. I think it's 1A, 1B, but I think that's very clearly uh, the top two spots there. Agreed. I'm trying to think of who else would be in the conversation. I guess you got to throw Seattle with DK and Lockett, Minnesota with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen into the mix. Any other teams come to mind? No, I think Seattle's a good one, obviously, with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. They'd be incredibly high on my list, those two. Uh, you mentioned Minnesota there, who I think are a little underrated. I mean, I, I, not not to throw Pittsburgh out there. I don't think they're quite in that group, but I think there's some potential there if Juju gets back on track and you really like what Chase Claypool has shown uh, so far. So there, there are other good units there, but I, I don't think there's one really like uh, Tennessee or Tampa Bay. Yeah, uh, a nugget that Greg Rosenthal had on around the NFL earlier this week. Julio and AJ were both top five in yards per route run last season. Is Julio Jones washed? Hell no. Julio Jones is still elite. Is he still the best receiver in the league? No, but he might still be top 10, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would definitely put him in my top 10 list. I would have put him there before Tennessee traded for him, well before they traded for him. So I uh, might even put him slightly higher than that, truthfully. But uh, I think DeAndre Hopkins is probably the best receiver in the NFL, not to get into all that, but... I think he's my number one personally. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Julio is definitely a top 10 receiver and AJ Brown probably is too. The only thing is, is there, it's like, it's pretty easy to name good receivers now. There's just a, an abundance of really good receivers in the NFL. We could probably get to 10 pretty quick. So top 10 is kind of like an arbitrary thing we throw around to say like one of the best in the league. Um, but regardless of if it's top 10, top 15 or top 20, just because there are so many good receivers in the NFL right now, they're among the best in the league, and this pair on the Titans is a top three pair in the NFL, if not higher than that. So nothing but excitement for this trade. Anything else you want to touch on before we get to our special guest? I guess we should mention Titans fourth-round pick Richard Weaver signed his rookie contract. So that's done. Yeah, nice to get another rookie under contract, a, a day three guy. I definitely want to get those out of the way, so it's nice that they got that done. But I think that does it. I mean, this has been a, a pretty long episode. We've covered Julio Jones' deal in length. We've talked about the contract. Hopefully, we've educated some of our listeners on how all that works. And I would say it's time to get to our guest now. All right. Before we get to our guest, I'm going to give you one more stat courtesy of NFL Research. This is a next-gen stats stat. I've talked a lot about catch rate over expectation. Actually, I've talked a lot about completion rate over expectation on this podcast if you go all the way back to the season when we were doing weekly previews um but ryan Tannehill, since he came into tennessee has been really high on the expect uh, uh completion percentage above expected which basically means next gen stats calculates like every throw that's ever been thrown in the history of football and compares every catch to the data of how close was the closest defender to the target how close was the closest pass rusher to the quarterback how far was the was the throw and all kinds of factors like this down and distance and all kinds of factors to determine an expected catch rate with all these factors this catch would be this this play would be completed x percent of times right so with that background 
I would like to now tell you that last season, not throughout his career, not when he was in his prime 10 years ago, last season, Julio Jones led the NFL with the highest catch rate over expected at a a plus 13.5%. Corey Davis was fifth at plus 9.6%. Corey Davis has been very high on this metric each of the last two years, which has helped Ryan Tannehill be so good. And one thing I was a little concerned about with Corey Davis's departure is, you know, those insane sideline catches or those contested catches that Corey Davis seems to make like once every four or five games would be, I was afraid those would be gone. And these really come to mind. Like if you think of Ryan Tannehill's first start, the 2019 game against the Chargers, when he was just like throwing these balls into insanely tight windows to Davis and AJ Brown, and they were being caught. And without a player who can make those kinds of plays, you know, Ryan Tannehill's efficiency and the passing game in general would would go down. Julio Jones is not only going to come in and, and be able to do what Corey Davis did in that department. He's 4% better. He's the best in the NFL. Corey Davis was fifth. I mean, he's, he was pretty good. But Julio is so, so good at catching the ball when he's targeted. Doesn't matter if the defender's near him. He, he just goes up, over, around, whatever it takes. Titans don't have to pass the ball a lot to be efficient. And Julio Jones is one of the most efficient receivers. He joins one of the most efficient passing games with one of the most efficient quarterbacks. It's a match made in heaven. I mean, all I can do is chuckle. I, I don't have a lot to add to that other than the fact that it's been so much fun to just drool over the talent that is Julio Jones on our 50th episode. I mean, this is perfect. All right, we'll now bring in our guest. He is the Don of Fila Sports Podcast, covering all Atlanta and Georgia professional and collegiate sports teams. We are welcoming him into the show now to talk about Julio Jones. How's it going? Thanks for joining us. Thank y'all for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we are going to dive right in Julio Jones talk here. First, I think we just kind of want to get the reaction of the people in Atlanta. What was it like when he was finally traded? Was it disappointment? Was it a relief that it was over? How did you feel when that happened? <laughs> I'm glad you asked that question. Um, I would say mixed emotions. Um, you have h- hardcore, knowledgeable f- uh, football fans like myself. We was like, okay, you know, it's business. Um we kind of figured that Julio probably don't like the new regime here with uh, Terry Fontenot and uh, Arthur Smith as a head coach. So he wanted to be out. Um, pretty much adding, adding you know, insult to injury with putting him on the trading block before the draft. And then you drafted Kyle Pitts fourth overall. Um, that kind of rubbed in the wrong way. So that's why he left. But you have casual fans here in Atlanta who really don't understand the business behind uh, football and they highly upset over the matter. It's still people here that are still crying about Julio. And of course you have people here that are blaming Matt Ryan, you know, for Julio leaving, you know, I just, it's, it's, it's just a whirlwind right now. Falcons, Falcons fan base is always in drama for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> now, personally, you know, from the outside looking in, you know, because you're the expert here on this, I want to get the, your thoughts on the plan overall this offseason. Because as an outsider, you know, going tight end at four, and I'm a draft guy, so I, I love Kyle Pitts. I, I love the pick. I, I do. But as an outsider looking in, when I try to think of the plan, if I'm drafting a tight end at four, you know, you're insinuating you want to win now. You know, they pass on the opportunity to take a QB, which was Justin Fields, right? It was really the only one left on the board that you'd consider there. If they're not high on fields, it is what it is. But, you know, taking a tight end at four win now, I feel like you have to find a way to make it work with Julio. You know what I mean? If that's the mm-hmm. plan, how do you not try to correct that? So what are sort of your My thoughts, thoughts on, on that? that is, okay, we picked fourth overall, and the first three picks was quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. Here's the thing. You don't pick – if you're picking that four, you don't pick the fourth best player at that position. You know how the Justin Fields is. But I wouldn't take a chance on picking the fourth best quarterback in the draft. Like, I just want to do that. Um, if you look at the stats um, and look at the history, um, it doesn't look well when people pick um, the third or fourth best quarterback that's still left on the board um, sometimes. But um, going back to Kyle Picks, that pick made a lot of sense because you have a guy like um, 
you have a guy like Hayden Hurst. We didn't honor his 50th contract. We declined his 50th contract, and we drafted pretty much one of the best tight ends to come out of college in, I say, since Tony Gonzalez, in my opinion. But it made sense to draft Kyle Pitts because of Hayden Hurst and because of Julio Jones' age and lack of durability the past couple of years because he has been hurt, you know. And if you look at it in the business aspect of it as well, cap space. Like the Falcons right now, we've been hurting for money for the past few years. You got to open up cap. You have to get better on the other side of the ball. I understand, yes, we did, we last year we did spend like 76 mil on the defense, but I feel like we can use that money and get another playmaker on that side of the ball so we can get better. So you got to play better defense. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the durability there, something we touched on earlier in the pod. We were looking at it from a very Titans-y perspective, which is obviously the hopeful side, but I'm curious to get your take someone who watched him closely. How bad have those injuries been the past, you know, more recently, and how much of a concern should it be for Titans fans looking at Julio coming in? It all depends on how Todd Donnie wants to play on Julio Jones, in my opinion. Uh, Dirk Cutter. I don't know if y'all watch a lot of Falcons football, but y'all are familiar with Dirk Cutter, but he's not a good play caller. All right. Um, just full verts all the time on first and 10, sending him around to run the ball. He wants to throw the ball in there. Like, when you have a 31, 32 year old receiver who have a previous injury, have previous uh, foot injuries and knee injuries, it takes a toll out of him. So, like I said, it all depends on how Todd Downing wants to play uh, Julio Jones. I I don't know if his scheme is going to be similar to Arthur Smith, what Arthur Smith did for you guys uh, the past couple of years. I just know Todd Downing from that 2017 season when he was in Oakland and they had the 26th ranked defense uh, offense, I believe. Yeah, that don't look good. But you still have you still have. Ryan, Ryan Tannehill, you still have Derrick Henry, you still have A.J. Brown. And y'all still have a good, solid offensive line. So, um, like I said, it all depends on how, how you guys want to, want to play Julio. Like, and I feel like y'all have a young A.J. Brown. Y'all should be good. Y'all have Derrick Henry. Just stick to stick to what y'all have been doing the past couple of years. If, if Todd Donner can, can, like, replicate Arthur Smith did, and y'all should be fine. This could be the hope in us speaking, but the early impression so far of Todd Downing is that he's not going to reinvent the wheel. And, and we think that's why he was hired and why he was promoted in the sense where he's going to come in and, you know, there'll be slight alterations, your typical year to year stuff. But we get the impression that this offense is going to be exactly the same uh, as it's been. I mean, he had a great quote the other day. And again, we're hoping he's not lying. Uh, when he speaks to the media, but uh, he said, I'm not here to put the Todd Downing spin on things. I, I'm here to just figure out, you know, the, the best mix for what we have. And, and what they have is pretty obvious. It's, it's, it's exactly what they've had, right, the last couple of years with Julio Jones now. So uh, we're, we're hoping that Downing does not reinvent the wheel. We, we hear this from a lot of new OCs that come in and they say they're not going to change anything. You talking to somebody who's seen a revolving door offensive coordinators throughout my, Matt Ryan's tenure here in Atlanta, you know, uh, especially when we came off that Super Bowl season when we lost Kyle Shanahan when he became the head coach of the 49ers out there in San Francisco. And um, Steve Sarkeesian, he said that, you know, they're going to pretty much run the same offense that uh, Kyle Shanahan did. Well, didn't really look that way. And then fired Sark, and we brought back Kurt Cutter, which was the one of the worst decisions that was ever made within this past decade. But <laughs> still got to be optimistic as a fan. Dirk said the same thing, that they're going to pretty much run, like, West Coast offense. And you can tell it was more Eric Colliel type of offense. Do you think that Atlanta started transitioning last year to making Calvin Ridley their primary wide receiver and and letting Julio kind of like when Julio was a young guy and Roddy White had to transition to the wider the older wide receiver too? Do you think that that started to happen last year or was Julio when healthy have, still the guy? We didn't have a choice because Julio was in the field and if you go back and you look at the games like third downs Julio on the sideline 
And I'm like, why are you on the sideline? This is the money down. We need to convert and get a first down. So, you know, um, it was I, I'd say it was kind of forced for Calvin Ridley to take that next step to be kind of the first option receiver for us. So yeah. Uh, in closing, just out of curiosity, uh, because again, you've watched him so closely. Um, what, how would you predict that the Julio Jones era goes in Tennessee? Um, y'all gonna hate when I say this, but we got the best years of Julio. All right. No, we, doubt. Got, 10, no doubt. we got 10 years out of him. You know, I don't see him playing that long. He's not going to play like longer than Larry Fitzgerald. He just doesn't have that durability. I get him probably four more years in the league. And, and I'm, you know, being modest when I say that. But um, I think that's fair. Takes him to yeah. about 35, 36. I don't yeah. think anyone should realistically expect him to play longer than that. And then he got business ventures and stuff out there, too. So he's been really smart with his money. And then, like, he's just been blowing it. Like, he got car dealerships and he didn't, right. I think he's building a, um, uh, a residential uh, facility somewhere up in Gwinnett County. So, like, he can retire in the next couple of years and, and be fine for the rest of his life. And his kids will be fine. But I don't even think he had kids. But um, I say that. He's going to be a great – I say he'd be a great mentor to y'all, Rob Receiver Court, especially A.J. Brown. Yeah. I will say that. And they've already seen that at OTAs. OTAs started on Thursday with Julio Jones there, and they said he's already been out there giving tips to the young guys. So he's not even waiting to, like, feel comfortable. He's just being who he is, and I think that that's great. Yeah. All right, well, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to turn it over to you. Tell the people where they can find your stuff. All right, once again, my name is The Don from Feel the Sports Podcast. Um, we do shows pretty much every day. We cover every professional and collegiate team in the metro area of Atlanta, um, such as the Falcons, Hawks. Uh, the Hawks in the playoffs right now. We're trying to, you know, get past the semifinals to get to the Eastern Conference Finals um, in the past seven years. And then we also cover the Braves, and we cover Atlanta United as well. Cover the Bulldogs, Georgia Tech, you name it, we cover it. So uh, check us out on our YouTube channel. Um, just type in Fila Sports. Fila stands for Forever I Love Nano uh, Sports Podcast. You type that in uh, YouTube. We'll be the first channel that you'll see. And we are over 2.35K on there. We are trying to uh, get to 3K very soon. I think we'll have that before football season starts. So um, thank y'all again for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I hope y'all have a great season this year. And we'll see y'all in, I think, 2023. Right. Well, we appreciate you coming on and and good luck to your Falcons. Uh, We're a big fan of Arthur Smith here in Tennessee. A lot of love for him. So we're wishing you the best. We think it was a brilliant hire. I I love him already, man. Look, this man, I've been looking at stories of, OTAs and stuff, Kyle Pitts and other players been messing up, Jalen Mayfield messing up, like, false starts and he haven't run a lap. Like, when we, Dan Quinn, when he was the head coach, he'd probably give them a hug. It's okay, you can mess up. <laughs> but Arthur Smith, he making them, um, you know, consequences and keeping well, we'll, keeping everybody, you know, straight. Accountability is the word. Man. We'll tell you, anybody, and you know, you know him well enough already, it sounds like, but anybody who says that Arthur Smith is in the position that he's in because of his family or his wealth. That, that's not the case at all, in our opinion. This is a guy who's a terrific guy, has climbed his way up the ladder the old-fashioned way, and really you know, a hard worker, is coached on both sides of the ball, quality assistant, everything, you know, climbed up the ladder from the bottom, a terrific head coach. So we, we really do wish you guys luck in Atlanta. We love him. Take good care of him, and we'll take good care of Julio. All right. Thank you, man. That's, you know, likewise. Appreciate it. And good luck to the Hawks. I know this isn't a basketball show, but I love watching Trey Young, one of the best young talents in the NBA. I'd love to see them get to the finals, especially over a super team like Brooklyn. So good luck to the Hawks. I'd love to see that. All right. Thank you all so much. I appreciate it. Take care. Thanks again. All right. Bye. All right. Thanks again to our guests for that insight into Julio Jones. 
that'll do it. This was a pretty long episode, but I hope you guys are as excited to listen to Julio as we were to talk about him because I might go back and listen to this podcast if I run out of Julio content to listen to just because I want to hear what you said all over again because it just is so exciting, right? I mean... (laughs) And I want to hear what you said all over again. All those tidbits from NFL research, terrific statistics, very uh, informative, great for our listeners to to learn about this. I'm sure a ton of you listening uh, probably didn't know a lot, a good portion of that, so... Uh, it's a terrific deal, and we'll just end on that note that uh, you should be incredibly excited about the, the this team right now. Just very, very excited about what's on the horizon. Ain't that the truth. All right, everyone, be sure you're checking out broadwaysportsmedia.com if you are looking for written Julio Jones content because there is an abundance of it there. Follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room. If you like this podcast, maybe you'll consider leaving a five-star review on the Apple Podcast page so we can help uh, grow the show. But you don't have to do that, but it'd be cool if you did. Uh, All right, that's it. That's all I got. Until next week, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.